All right, let's do this thing. We ready? Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Philippa Sturt, and alongside me is my co-host, Andy Uri. Ooh, pleasure to be here. Hello. And today we're joined by Nisha Ramasetti. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Nisha is an entrepreneur and co-founder of Naksha, an award-winning F&B startup, which launched in November 2020 after winning a place in a national incubator program in the UAE. The concept, a unique spin on meal kits, helping ordinary folk to cook adventurous food at home. Wow. That sounds quite exciting. Yeah, it does. I'm quite excited by that. Yeah. Quite delicious as well. Could you explain a, a unique spin on meal kits? I mean, meal kits have become the raison d'etre of the London life. What, what, what's the unique spin? The unique spin is you're on your way home from work and you want to have something a bit more interesting, um, looking at recipes online, and you're going to do one of three things. You're either going to go buy those ingredients, pop to whatever, Waitrose, Tesco, whatever, spend about £50 because you're buying, you know, eight spices that you don't have and some pastes and some sauces and some grains. Plus you get carried away because you're hungry. Plus you get carried away because you're hungry and you don't even use some of these things often, especially if you're doing specific cuisines, right? Yeah. Or you just order takeaway or you just cook the same shit you always cook. So what, what we've done is we've created kind of what we call extraordinary recipe kits, which are off the beaten track cuisines. So they, we don't do things like Thai, Indian, Mexican. We do things like Kenyan, Sri Lankan, Maldivian, Mauritius, uh, Singapore, Indonesian, Malaysian. So a little so bit more exciting. Yeah. But and what you deliver them? No. So so we don't include the meat or veg inside of them. So the concept is they're retail products. So you can pick them up from the shelf. They last for a year in your cupboard. So you know you've got this Sri Lankan curry or you've got this uh, Maldivian stew kit. All you need to add is an onion and a tomato and whatever meat you want to add. And you know you've got that in your back pocket for whenever you need. And the concept is we just allow people to explore different cuisines and and more diverse cuisines that are actually really delicious. I really like them actually, those kind of meal kits that but it's normally Thai or Indian. Plus, you've got to subscribe to them yeah. beforehand. Yeah. You know, they're not on delivery necessarily. No, no, I just mean if you go into the supermarket, oh, which you've right. probably not done in some ways. No, I, 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 <laughs> but if, I, I, I hate Imagine that you were going into a supermarket not making your wife do it. She would pick up... None like, of us go. We do it all okay. on um, delivery. Do you? Where do you order from? Not de- not like delivery, I mean... Um, like Sainsbury's or Sainsbury's, Yeah, 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 yeah. I would imagine you guys are an Ocado household, are you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, look at you. <laughs> Judging me. Judging. <laughs> what is it best to be Tesco's? Waitrose. Waitrose. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's going to be like 10, 10 pounds more expensive. Well, my but... corner shop, I used to be his best customer. And honestly, he cries every time I see him. He's like, what happened, Andy? You know, anyway, this is not relevant. That's a brilliant idea. That's a brilliant idea. So I go in and I basically buy the herbs and spices and get a piece of chicken. You get like a little packet. It says on the packet... Also get a piece of chicken and a potato. Yeah, so it's it's got we've got more than herbs and spices. We've got things like beans, coconut milk, even like canned tomatoes, grains. Everything have like that you won't have in your house. Rice noodles, like depending on the recipe. All you need to add, and most of these recipes are quite like complex, like things that would take three, four hours. But we've worked with chefs, in some cases like Michelin star chefs, to design the recipes to make it really easy for people to do at home. Mm. 
Okay, very good. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm always slightly skeptical on the whole, it only takes 20 minutes. But the crazy thing is, is you go to restaurants and they manage to do it in 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember I stayed in Goa in this um, place by the beach and the food was just spectacular day after day after day. And then I said to the owner, I said, I must thank the chef. And he said, oh, right. And I was like, where is he? And he was like, well, he's behind that curtain. I pulled this curtain back. There wasn't a kitchen. It was just dirt with a guy sat on the floor in the corner with a cloth laid out on the floor with a couple of implements and a couple of vegetables. And he obviously didn't speak a word of English. And I was like, totally taken aback. And I was like, hi, I just wanted to say like, and he was like, what? And what happens obviously in Goa is the best cooks come from the north of India. I just was an extreme moment of like, this guy had cooked me all kinds yep. of dishes, yep, whether yep, it had yep. been this or that. And I, and I thought all of that stainless steel and all of that fancy French bullshit, it was all bullshit. All you need is is one, one you know, a fire. He had a fire on the floor, you know, and he was it's knocking It's the ingredients the and it's having the right ingredients and knowing how to use the ingredients, right? And the right, right blends and so on. Um, but no, the whole point is they're really flexy. So A, you can use them whenever you want and B, you can layer whichever, whatever protein or veg you want. So we recommend one meat or one veg like as a main protein or vegetable. Um, and But customers kind of add whatever yeah. whatever they want. And so it's so like fun and flexible really for people. I think the thing the Italians always taught us too is it's simply of flavor. So the Brits have this kind of problem. We're getting better at it, but we tend to want to put 17 flavors. We're like, oh, well, we'll chuck it all in. Yeah. It's better if we put it all in. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you learn, having lived with an Italian for a while, you learn that, I, I remember when we first lived together with my dear friend Chiara and she she said, I cook a dinner. And I was like, oh, great. She came back <laughs> from the shop. Did she really have a comedy she's, Italian she accent? She has, dear Chiara she, She's <laughs> even called Ciabatta. Even her Italian friends say she has a comedy Italian actually she really does have the most and, and big up Chiara but um, she came back from the shop with pasta a courgette and an onion and I'm sitting there thinking this is going to be the fucking shittest dinner ever I was just like what the hell and she and I thought oh God I'm getting some all, olive oil and some chilli and you're you know, done you know I yeah. need 16 ingredients and a massive lump of four meats and you know it's like pizzas it's like yeah. let's put 17 flavours on and she cooked this thing and it was just fucking like oh my it was courgette an oil an onion Pasta, yeah, and the Italian. Uh, no, I don't think she did get any palm so It's quite expensive in the supermarket, you know. <laughs> but you know, I think the meal kits and stuff. It's like we the framework is really helpful because I think otherwise you go in the supermarket and I just keep buying stuff. Yeah, and you buy irrelevant stuff. That's yeah. the thing. And the thing with meal. By the way, we love the fresh delivery meal kits. They actually taught my husband how to cook before I met him, so I'm really glad they exist. Yeah, but there is such high wastage. I mean, it's a huge issue in the yeah. industry. You're talking about fresh or whatever. Yeah, where? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, there's loads of them, right? Yeah. And they're great. And they're great. They are great. But the problem is there's just such high wastage. Like, they'll, first of all, they don't package everything in recyclable stuff very often because it is hard to find recyclable packaging in this. It's so frustrating. Or they pack it in sheep's wool. A lot of sheep's wool. Yeah, yeah. It's so exactly. But anyway, um, you know, there's a lot of wastage from a from a packaging perspective, but also like the actual kits because and the, people the have ingredients. To order it. Before yeah, the week, exactly. And, and then what if you go decision. out? And what if you yeah. go out? And then it gets, you know, there's a box lying on your doorstep, and lots of people just decide they don't want to use them. Or you just don't fancy whatever it is you order yeah. by the time it gets to the evening that you're exactly. To eat it's it. just not sustainable. And then yeah. also, basically, the a lot of these companies 
are uh, logging losses because it's so expensive to be shipping all these boxes around, you know, England and around the world. So, and I think with takeaways as well, like that's where people go if they want to have kind of more authentic, like if you want Ethiopian food, like people don't really make Ethiopian food at home. We're NPDing that, by the way. NPDing? New product development testing. Oh, get you with your three-letter acronym. Yeah. Get but, with the program GWTP. Oh, what I was saying is, it's 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 like very often it's really oily if you get takeaway, yeah. right? Like very they've oily. got palm oil and, and so on. So imagine if you could make that at home, but it's healthy. That's very good. I like it. And um, I mean, we're we, we sort of generally talking about about the problems that are going on in in, in sort of food delivery. Is this a sort of passion for you? Is this where this comes from? This is something that sort of keeps you up at night or where, where does this business come from? Well, it's a fun story actually. So we cooked a lot during lockdown and we used that as a way to kind of explore different flavors. And we always did kind of travel a lot, right? And kind mm. of off the beaten track countries. So it would be Afghani food one day, Japanese food another day, Korean food another day, like Native American food, like, oh, let's try that. Like, so cooking a lot during lockdown, cooking loads of different cuisines, it was getting very expensive. I mean, I remember we made this one dish that cost us something like 120, <laughs> 120 pounds or something ridiculous. Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. Easy to do in Waitrose, I have to say. Well, exactly. Easy to do in Waitrose. But then I was like, oh, I can't be wasting all these ingredients. But when am I going to cook this like Korean dish again? I don't know when I'm going to cook it again. So I actually kind of made a little recipe card. And um, at that point, my friends were messaging me on Instagram saying, oh, that looks really interesting. Can you send me Can you send me that dish? I said, no, I'm not cooking for you guys in mass. But I will basically created little recipe cards and sent pre-blended ingredients and stuff to my friends. And they were like, oh, can you send me that one again or that one again? Um, I was like, oh, that's quite interesting. People actually enjoy Oh, so that. you sent them the, like little packs of yeah, ingredients. Yeah, yeah, little packs. And I like pre-blended the spices and the, uh, obviously they bought the rice and stuff themselves. That's quite fascinating about you. You're quite, you're quite, that's quite a lot of work for you, for yeah, your Yeah, but friends. I didn't want to waste stuff. I just don't like wasting stuff. That's, I think, a core, like, yeah. like it yeah. just, it upsets me so much. And I knew otherwise that was all just going to be wasted. So anyway, sent it, sent it, people, and people were like, oh, this is great. Want to try that Kenyan curry again? Like, can you, can you send me the ingredients? I was like, oh, this is interesting. At the same time, we tried a Thai kit, which we liked, but it was like a basic green curry, kind of oily, just in a sachet, whatever. And then at the same time, we heard the managing director of Waitrose and Spinney's, which is a large supermarket in the UAE. This is where we, we launched a brand in the UAE. We just launched in the UK three months ago. Um, but basically, we heard the managing director on the radio talking about a local business incubator program. Um, and they basically said, any like fantastic, interesting food and Bev ideas are welcome. It doesn't have to be in production, just concept is fine. And then we pitched and then we won. And that was like, oh... Wow! So you won a competition in the UAE, an incubator program, yeah, incubator yeah, incubator program for food, for food, food and bev, and it was like supported by the Ministry of Food Security, and it was like a bigish deal. And basically, what that did is it fast tracked us into forty-five Waitrose and Spinney's supermarket shelves in the UAE, in the UAE, and this is where we live. Waitrose lived, right? is big in the UAE, very big. Right? What were you doing at the time? You had a job at the time? Yeah. Or? So I had quite a senior role in a Dubai government entity where where that I was quite I was quite pleased that I you know I was like. Oh. Oh, yeah, I got the, you know, have this job. My friend not as much fun though, right? security, not, not oh, like, <laughs> government, oh, diplomatic immunity. Uh, you know. Yeah, well, no, not diplomatic immunity, unfortunately. But, um, but 
uh, my friends thought I was crazy because I quit quit that job to start and then run the business. Good for you. Did you have support from um, your other half? You know, you could pay the bills kind of thing. Yeah. So he he's also my co-founder. So we've since gotten That's married. That's a mistake. <laughs> That's going to go wrong. <laughs> what did the incubator give you? So the incubator program, I think in 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 a really cool way, it gave us exactly what we needed, which is listing with a large retailer. So we okay. straight up yes. got into Waitrose and Spinneys, which, you know, brands that are around for ages really struggle to get them and have spent a lot of money trying to do so. So that's kind of, frankly, the best thing you can possibly get. I guess these companies are always looking for innovation and if there is a creditable route to show that you're doing something interesting. There's there's also some supermarkets here have their own incubator programs. But a lot of, lot of incubators, because I look at a lot of the kind of offering from incubators for people when they're signing up to these things. And a yeah. lot of them can just be like, when you get right down to it and read between all the kind of shiny words, yeah. it's like, we'll give you a desk for six months. Exactly. And you yeah. give us 5% of your spot, company. Spot on, spot on. So I think what we got from this incubator program, and like, I honestly don't think the business would exist without it. it really weirdly, I want you to almost be on delivery when I'm trying to find something to eat. Because... The choice is like, you don't have Kenyan food on Deliveroo. But if I saw on Deliveroo, buy some spices, five pounds, you need a piece of chicken or something. I mean, I, what, who am I? If you've ever been on Deliveroo in like somewhere like Pasta Evangelist, where you can yes. either get the pasta cooked for yes. you with the sauce on, yeah. or you can get fresh pasta and a kit. Yes. I actually, what do you think of pasta? I think it's a bit overrated. You start out for them, I can't comment. Oh, right. Okay, fair play. What's your long-term goal for the business? World domination, obviously. Of course. Um, no, we, we want people to be able to, I mean, actually, exactly what you're saying. You're talking about going on Deliveroo or trying to find a Kenyan restaurant and it being really disappointing or having to go far and wide to do so. We want people to be able to cook these dishes at home really easily and without much of a hassle and be able to actually think that you know, real people around the world actually cook these dishes and eat these dishes at home and kind of think a bit more deeply about... Not to be intimidated, maybe. Yeah. I think there's a lot of intimidation about, oh, how do I cook Kenyan food? You know, food isn't that complicated underneath it, is it? And we go, well, we go far and wide. Like, I will go to East Ham to get a dosa or to Peckham to, like, find a specific Senegalese spice. You know, we go far and wide to get these kind of real ingredients from real sources. So we just want to make it really easy for people to be able to access that. But what what I think is interesting, maybe it's not that interesting, but I think it's interesting, is, you know, with FMCG, I suppose you've got to kind of sell so much of it because it's yeah. kind of fairly low value. Yeah. And yet you're describing to us a, a massively premium product. Yeah. with loads of different spices in, some of which presumably are quite expensive, depending on what those spices are. So is there a load of work that goes into trying to get, you know, a recipe and a product that still matches your price point? Yeah, is this, is this another product? It's like the old, you know, you can eat well if you've got money argument, which you, actually my, my old man's always shown me this but pack of bacon. But people won't buy it. People won't buy, buy it on the shelf if it's too expensive with FMCG. It's got to be in that range. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good point. So I think, first of all, like they have more than spice in them. They have things like 
coconut milk. They have the grains. They have basically everything that you would need except the meat or the veg. So some, you're willing to pay a bit more for Yeah, it. so you don't have to buy, you know, the jasmine rice yeah. or you don't have to buy the rice noodles. With, with a lot of things, you kind of do you need do. to add these things on and the coconut milk, whatever. So first of all, it's kind of the next level up from a spice blend or just a sauce or, you know, you've a got packet of sauce, a packet. Yeah. It's genuinely a kit. Um, but no, you've, 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 I think you've hit on something that's super relevant, which is a big issue facing our industry, um, which is kind of the rising costs and everything is just so expensive at the moment. Food's been hit very, very hard. Um, transport, like, you know, shipping things is very, very expensive. Obviously with Brexit, we're less able to, you know, get things, even like packaging, which is much cheaper. Well, packaging must be quite hard as well, because presumably you have lots of different shaped packets. Yeah, and then we're, we're obsessed with recyclability. So finding the right packaging that can, you know, that can keep the um, integrity of the whatever the I mean, you can't just are. say to a co-packer, just pack everything in the same No, square. we have different... No, exactly, exactly. But, um, but I mean, I think the, the cost factor and the pricing is really, really critical. So what we're actually doing, we've got kind of a new range that we're working on, which is, I would say, more affordable, um, which is more kind of supermarket friendly. Mm-hmm. And we've got kind of a premium range, which right now we're, we're at uh, Whole Foods, Harrods, Selfridges, Fennec, John Lewis... There's some really interesting questions in here, which is like the climate crisis and maybe there's a food crisis and we had Paul Powelson say, you know, once we have, you know, more than one food system fail and I've been thinking about it and I'm like, you know, we almost have too much choice now. And then if you take it a next extension to what you're saying, a lot of the most traditional foods are peasant food, whether they be Spanish mm. omelette or pasta. These are things that... The whole, they, they, you know, or even you could take the Yorkshire pudding. These are things that come out of poverty that are simple to make with cheap yeah. ingredients. You know, food doesn't need to be expensive. And a frustration of my dad who waved around this packet of bacon at me for ages because it was 89 pence for this massive packet of, of cuts of bacon and was talking about it. And I think, yeah, I think maybe you're well positioned. There's an element of which it's like, oh, there's a, you know, we can't supply ourselves in a food crisis and it's, but it's too much choice and, and we're too greedy and there's too much waste. You know, look at it, it's disgusting. We're disgusting as animals. So I think your business is well positioned, but I don't, I don't know what you feel about the waste and, you know, are we, are, have we got too much choice? You know, what do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you walk into a supermarket, you go online, you've got, you know, a zillion options for the same product. And you don't want any of them. You just look at them and you don't want any <laughs> well, of them. Well, choice leads to, it's like Netflix, your choice leads to, oh, I don't know what I want. Yeah, and then, but on the other side of things, I mean, this was actually on, it was quite interesting, it was on your po- podcast, um, you had a gentleman named Naumbar, was it? No. No, from, from yeah, Wild, yeah. Wild Market. And he said something really interesting, which is that people are spending less on access actual ingredients, which means they're buying lower quality ingredients. So it's not that they're spending less on eating. We spend, we actually spend a lot on eating out, right? But we're spending less on the actual core ingredients with things that we're cooking at home. So that means we're making lower quality stuff. And that obviously is going into our bodies and it's making us unhealthy, right? So, So that's a problem. So we're either eating out and eating shit or we're eat, cooking at home and not cooking with really good quality ingredients. So that's kind of, we've lost that balance. And I mean, I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that we're able, we're able to do something about it. So still well, you're bring, bridging that gap. Exactly. Rather than pressing the just eat in the delivery exactly. to have something that is designed to be full of sugar and salt that we love, but it's bad for us. It's trying to get back to the sort of, yeah, 
basic simple yeah, it's, good it's ingredients. That you can you can you can cook these delicious like stews and you know um uh, dishes at home and you don't you know exactly what goes into it you know you're putting the oil in you're using it's meat that you buy but we're kind of setting setting the scene with the more difficult to find um stuff leaving aside the fact that your co-founder is your husband which andy says is a fuck up but well. never mind have you screwed up so far or has it been plain sailing? How do you split your roles? What's the role difference? So so I, I run the business. What's your husband's name? Sam. Sam. Big up <laughs> Sam. What's going on, Sam? Hang in there. It'll get better. He's going to love it. I mean, he's got a full-time job. What's his job? He's a group communications director for a telecom company. Oh, wow. So he's more the, the money or the silent investor? Ish. Well... Don't call him the money man. You, no, that's I'll so... tell you what he is. I'll tell you what he is. He is a great sounding board. You need someone as a founder, an entrepreneur. Like you can do it. So obviously, you know, have a, have a small team and you can be a solo entrepreneur, but you do need someone at, who oh, you can I bounce so ideas agree. off of. You just need somebody to go, oh my God, this is disgusting. <laughs> well, yeah, sometimes. And sometimes that's a fucking great idea. Or like just brainstorming things with you. It's just, you, you just need that. And that is what he is. Like he is a great sounding board. And he's someone who, you know, we created, created the brand with, but he's not involved in the day-to-day working of it at all, which I think is really good because if he was, you know, we, I don't know if we'd be married right now. <laughs> well, I think it's very true. I mean, a very occasionally you meet someone who's, who's, who's got such a strong vision and they're basically so stubborn and selfish and up their own ass that they want to do it all themselves. Now, most of the time they'll fail. Just occasionally they're right. You know, so I think I don't think any business can survive without bouncing with one, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With one you know, here. and and I think you know, if you're in, you, it sounds like you're in a fantastic relationship that you're in a place that you can bounce off like that. You know, I think I don't know. You know, that that's so crucial to it. Obviously, the biggest problem facing your industry is sort of climate change and packaging. And is that is that is that the biggest problem in the industry? I mean, there's lo- there's loads of different angles you can tackle it, right? Like the economy, you know, the cost of living. Um, we've talked about packaging, supermarkets, and their stupid payment terms. I mean, Waitrose is a high premium supermarket. Do you envision yourself? You know, if you take the principle, which is very true, that the southeast of England is some of the richest areas of Europe, and then near the rest of the country, some of the poorest areas. Do you see this product flourishing you know up in, in poorer areas we're, we're working on a different it's called format so like right now we've got a premium format we're working on something that is more um, affordable but still gives that flavor of I mean you could you could be in a poor area but you could still be interested in eating Kenyan food why not I mean we we're talking about Kenyan food but it could be Sri Lankan it could be South Indian it could Sri Lanka is so on point at the moment it's so yeah, fantastic yeah I, lo- I love Sri Lanka but you know it could it could be any of these things and, and I think it's really important to make make it accessible to people so yes so we are working on um, on a different format to be able to go into supermarkets at a lower price point where have you gone wrong so far? What do you think is your biggest cock up? Oh, um, early days, uh, we had a supplier who was great, but they weren't kind of clearly communicating things to us. We weren't, we we were, we thought we were, we were giving them timelines and spreadsheets and so on, but this person wasn't really looking at anything. And, you know, this is before we understood really how supply chain works, how air freight works. We basically had to ship over two large shipments um, of coconut milk over, air freighted from Sri Lanka. And it basically got stuck. And we had to buy more coconut milk, basically, because it could, it wouldn't reach us in time. We had hard deadlines. You could buy coconut milk in England. Why are you shipping you it? Can, we, were, we were in the UAE at the time. Ah, <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> right, slightly different. Uh, but anyway, point is, we ended up with loads of coconut milk that we didn't need at huh. the end of it. Coconut milk party! That was great. Like, yeah. coconut milk bath. It's very good for you. You know, we got stuck with loads of coconut milk and it said, We need some pineapples fast! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that was a really big, and it obviously cost us money and. Is quite, quite it's always painful. a difficult thing. It's like uh, growing in any sort of manufacturing business. Success is like a, a curse in a way because you always got to buy ahead. You've always got to be three months ahead. So you think, oh, I'll, I'll buy a thousand meal kits and I'll sell them and then I have the money. But yeah. what happens is you, you you buy a thousand meal kits and then they're selling well. Well, you need, now need 5,000, but you don't have the money yet. Yeah, cash flow. And, and you have this, the graph never makes sense. You know, we've talked about it like, because I've been there. It's like, it's a real nightmare. I mean, it was with skincare, but it was like, oh, fuck. I thought that I sold them, then I got the money, and, then I, and it's like, no, yeah. you need, it's cash you, flow. Cash you need flow money painful. up front all the time. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given, Nisha? Uh, to look at a situation or an issue contextually. So, like, in context of the bigger picture or that an issue you're having with the person or whatever it may be to look at it in context of everything else that has to do with that situation and not to, you know, make decisions based on that moment and or that situation or that specific How issue. How do you do that? I guess you give it a moment, give it a bit of time. Yeah, I need to give it a bit of time. Like Don't I've, emotionally I've, react. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've had to really, really learn that. Like as a founder, um, someone running a business, working with kind of senior business execs, investors to kind of, you know, the manufacturing to a team, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's different mindsets. Being Everyone's calm got different... is very powerful. People pick up too on panic. And, yes. And, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And reaction. Exactly. I think it's always like, okay, taking the issue in and going back and thinking about it without reacting in that instant, like really thinking about the issues Trying to take the emotion it. out of it. Yeah, that's really important. And I've had to really learn to do that and not to react immediately. So I'm, I've, I now always give it a few. Well, like taking artwork from the source, it's the right way to do it, but we could be so disconnected from that society that it doesn't communicate to us on the shelf. And it's always that heart and mind thing, isn't it? Oh, I'm buying a Kenyan dish. It could be real Kenyan art, but we may have so little reference point. You yeah. Know? And then someone criticizes the artwork or says, oh, and you could be defensive of the artist or you don't understand. And it's, you know, it's those sort of impassioned moments, isn't it? It may be that you end up having to be a bit stereotypical in order to communicate. I don't know. I mean, it's a silly example, but it's those sorts of things, you know? Yeah, I mean, you get, you know, you get feedback and you, I mean, obviously we are going to stay true to our concept and that is what it is, but, but we have to make sure it speaks to the, the people we want it to speak to. And it might not be for everyone, you know, like um, a Sri Lankan curry might not be for everyone. A Yemeni mandi might not be for everyone. That's fine. What's conversely the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Ooh, um, just like hustle, 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 grind, 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 and you'll, you know, it'll all that happen. That just sounds miserable as well. Yeah, and it's just bullshit. It's genuine bullshit. Like, sounds quite American, is that American? It's that very, if you want it enough, you'll get it thing from like shows on telly like yeah like you put enough you put your mind to it enough and then it will tenacity is so extremely important but I also think that I mean my point I was going to make is that a balance is so important as well to be able to have your mind in the right place for me as you know a founder plus you know 
I also want to be human. I like being human. I like having my time. I like being a good wife. I like being a good daughter. You know, I like to travel. I like to have, you know, life's pleasures. I don't want to just be on my laptop the whole day. Like, but, you know, early on you get advice from some people like, oh, just, you know, 18 hour days, bro, 20 hour days. You know, I get up at three in the morning. It's very kind of macho, isn't it? It's very stupid. And it's stupid. It's stupid because you don't actually live your life. I think it's also not valuing. I mean, it's very cultured. Again, that sounds quite American, but, you know, UAE, I can't really comment on. But, you know, obviously the the Brits don't respond that well to aggressive hustle. Having said that, I mean, I always think, you know, there's there's the, um, what is it? Uh, The, um, God, Steve Yoni and Dr. Dre or whatever, you know, there's a level of sort of hustle that it's like, if you ring someone a thousand times, you'll probably eventually wear them down. But They'll hate you. Yeah, but generally speaking, if you hassle the shit out of someone, we will close the door here. You will just be like, fuck this It's a different way of doing business here, which has been really, really, really fascinating for me to learn actually and now a quick word from our sponsor business without bullshit is brought to you by Ori Clark straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935 you can find us at oriclark.com what do you think is bullshit in your industry and why I really think the MOQ issue is serious you know minimum Minimum, order yeah, yeah Oh my gosh, it's so like the minimum order quantities for small businesses are just, you know, it's impossible. It's impossible. And the reason I think that is because it doesn't allow interesting ideas and brands to actually see the light of day. It doesn't even allow them to see the light of day. What would you do on the other side of the fence? Do you know what I mean? The other side of the fence is a manufacturer's. Okay, I just ordered some bespoke baseball caps online for my hip hop crew. They're like 50 quid each. And I get that. Because they're bespoke, you know, but they're ridiculous. But I went, it was a while ago now, but I remember going to a talk by a guy who was a manufacturer in the UK. I mean, he was in a lucky position that he had built a factory for himself because he couldn't find anybody to make so few of his products because most of the manufacturers, they want you to order huge masses. And if your order is too low, they just won't do it. Yeah. And so he'd built this factory and then he'd started basically making stuff, exactly. small amounts of stuff for other people exactly. as well, which I thought was really lovely. It was like a pay it forward yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And I think there are a few of those. Exactly. It's just hard to find. That's exactly, I think, the, the model that would work. So something for smaller producers or some artisanal brands. So, you know, you have there's no step between making things kind of in your kitchen at home and having a nice product in, in like a farmer's market to being in a supermarket shelf. There's nothing in the middle. But I don't know how you solve that. I don't know how you solve I'm the manufacturer. You ring me. You want to have a chat. We go through it. What are you going to do? I've got to set the machine up. Well, I mean, what, what, what Pippa said is kind of the, that intermediary needs to exist, which is kind of almost like an incubator manufacturer, which allows that kind of the middle ground manufacturing quantity to exist. It just does not exist. So basically... Most people at that kind of small producer level get frustrated and can't, you know, you have to live. You can't, you know, you can't survive like that. And getting, you know, not a lot of people get the opportunity to go onto shelves immediately and then can manufacture large quantities. You know, most people do kind of like farm shops, delis, you know, what whatever that may be. I agree with you that, it, it, that business is generally set up 
that it's always set up for big business and there's a real problem to get there. I mean, you could take a tax example. So larger companies get an HMRC representative who sits in their business and helps them with the tax. Really? Let okay. me help you with your problems. Let me make things... No, they're there to be helpful. Whereas a small and medium-sized problem can't get any answers, can't get anyone to pick up the phone. Yeah. Then when they do anything wrong, they get an inquiry and they get shat on and they get told off. And they're like, well, you wouldn't talk to me and you wouldn't give me any information. Whereas you're sitting with the big guys. So there's always this problem of scale. But I struggle as a manufacturer. I mean, you're saying maybe there's a sort of artisan manufacturer, but can I make any money out of that? I mean, that sounds exhausting. I've got a thousand customers who want a high quality product. And yet, you know, the only way I could do that is say, okay, I'll let you order 50, but they're going to cost you 50 pounds there, I mean, there's smart ways to do it, and right? And then 50 times 50 is the same as buying a thousand. Yeah, no, but there, there are smart ways to do it, right? You have structures in place. Like, obviously you can't manufacture every everything, but like, let's say we're in the food industry. You've got a structure for sauces. You've got a structure for you know, spice blends, you've got a structure for sausages. whatever drives, sausages, fine. Like, you know, you, fi you find those four or five verticals and you say, great, okay, I can start from 200. No one's going to make 50, right? Um, I mean, I think with smaller businesses, smaller producers, very often they need, or we rather need kind of to be closer to the right, manufacturing. Right. So we're actually, you know, a bit more in control. But then control. that requires more customer service. That's exhausting for me as a manufacturer. I mean, they're comp this is a complex problem. Yeah, yeah it, is a, it is a complex problem, but it's a problem that exists. Yeah. And that's what kind of flushes a lot of great, interesting artisanal brands and products out of um, action. I would say, having been there too, that don't order the thousand, even if the 10 cost you the same as yeah. the thousand, get the 10. Like testing is so important yeah. when you're launching a product because you end up with a thousand boxes you can't use. And I learned the hard way that it's better it's better to cost yourself almost as much, but to get the 10 boxes and fix the spelling mistake and fix the fact the box didn't work. You know, it's like, and manufacturers will allow you to do that. They'll just charge you through the nose for it. You yeah, know? yeah. A lot of manufacturers won't allow you to do that. So a lot of them will have an MOQ of a thousand. You just cannot manufacture anything less than a thousand. But I also think that we seem to be talking about it as though all manufacturers will do everything. There's presumably a place for manufacturers. Specialist manufacturers, yes. Specialist manufacturers that will do three or four lines, like you say, you know, do spice blends. There's and no do... money in it though. It's not an attractive I think, business. I think, I think if, you, if you're a very specialist and you, you've set up three or four very specific things, you will have people coming to you. Because there's so, if you look at the, the food industry today, it is so vibrant. There's so many companies. I've been amazed. I moved to the UK last year. And it is so, it's incredible. Like there's a few like food festivals, food founder festivals. It's sh shocking how many interesting products and brands there are, but, and how many people are stuck at this specific point, which is we can't find a manufacturer that will do 500 units or 400 units. They're not, want, they're not wanting 50, they're wanting like 500, but not necessarily a thousand, you know? And there is an understanding of this. There is an understanding that for less production of less units, you pay more. There is an understanding. So, But the curve is like that. It is very much like that. Like we are still paying a lot per unit and we know that and we don't want to sit and manufacture 5,000 of each unit. So we'd rather do what you said earlier, which is manufacture less, pay more and we take a hit on the profit margin, right? You have that's to build okay. your business on the basis one day you'll, yes, be, you'll have the okay. volume. Yes, that's okay. That's okay because at least my product's out there and yeah. people are seeing it, customers are buying it, supermarkets are, you know, seeing it and it's active. Are you still using the same manufacturer you started with or have you had to In the on? UAE. So we basically, we launched in the UK in June, which has been 
fascinating because we're a baby brand, you know, it's, it's like me and a cu- like three people, you know. And you're, in, you're already in Whole Foods and a couple yeah. of other places. And people are thinking, oh, you've made it. Yeah. You must be rolling in it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you have no fucking mm-hmm. idea. It's like, you have no fucking idea. Yeah, <laughs> this business has now given me two slip discs. <laughs> also, also, when you get the order, you know, when you're like, oh my God, we got an order for 30 Waitrose. This is it, darling, we've made it. Yes, no, you haven't. Exactly, this exactly. is the it's beginning. Because apart from anything else, Waitrose are not going to pay you for about yeah. two years. Yeah. And you're so excited and they're excited and the buyer's excited and everyone's excited and then you get the orders in after two months and they're like, hasn't sold a damn thing. You're a waste of space for taking off the shelves. You know, I'm not saying that's yeah, what happens, yeah, yeah. but it's No, tough. no, but it's, it's true. It's getting on the shelf is, I would say, 5% of the game. Staying on, you know, actually the rate of sale, the product selling is critical and like for for a product like ours it requires a lot of education right it's not a pasta sauce does the packaging talk to you i mean sam is an expert is it like hello Uh no the packaging's gorgeous so that's part of our usp we work with artists from those countries oh very nice we do like a call out for artists it's a competition and we have like limited edition artwork very nice um literally by those artists from those countries and they're constantly talked about on the packaging social media so it's beautiful like yeah, on, when yeah. you look at it on the shelves it's not it's not like anything you've seen before so that definitely calls out to people um and it's the storytelling right that's the whole point like we're trying to tell stories of these places we want people to think about these real places and real people and real cultures that exist that's something that we're really really um uh, intentional about well also you, you also you don't want to get into the stereotypes too let you know let it be real and come from the heart in terms of ingredients and the thing otherwise you end up saying oh we'll stick a zebra on it that's what kenya is yeah. it's well. like you know roll your eyes you know <laughs> but you know what i mean it's yeah, like, yeah yeah it's, and they're quite old they're quite alternative i mean you'll you'll see um the the actual like artwork is they're interpretations. I mean, we have an Egyptian artist who did the packaging for our baking range, which is kind of infused with Middle Eastern flavors like tahini and dates and so on. And she's like an Egyptian artist, lives in the US at Parsons School of Design. And she did these kind of like coming of age, um, uh, you know, pieces for us, which is so interesting. You don't expect that on food packaging. So we try and make it a bit more, you know, interesting and a bit quirky and thoughtful. Okay, so we're going to get on to the 10-second quickfire round. Ooh. This is where we're going to ask a list of questions to get you to know you a little better. 10 seconds to answer these question. We'll be flexible. D, cue the music. Right. We're off. What was your first job? PR intern at Ogilvy & Mather. Very good. Mm, very swanky. What was your worst job? Oh, I don't think I have a worst job, to be honest. I know, I, know, I, know, I know it's hard. There's still time. That time I set up a meal that, thing. That t- exactly. <laughs> that time I was a founder of a meal kit company. Favourite subject at school? Biology. Uh, what's your special skill? Um, bouncing back. Bouncing That's back. That's good. Being resilient. Yeah. Yeah. That's Are you aware of Alan Partridge? It's a very Alan Partridge. Uh, Is it? Who's Alan know? Partridge? Google it. I will Google I'm it. I'm writing it down. Yeah, I'm, a good, I, I'm very good at bouncing back. That's the name of his book. Anyway. What, what did you want to be when you grew up? An astronaut. Oh, that's what my dad wanted to be. Hang on, isn't that the second astronaut we've had this week? Really? Not on mine, not on my watch. Should I, I have another one if we want to mix it up. That's okay, you can be an astronaut. Can I be an astronaut? I really like that. It was either astronaut or fighter pilot. Those are the two that I really wanted to be, yeah. Uh, What did your parents want you to be? 
Uh, Mum uh, didn't really push me in any direction. Actually, my, the one thing they didn't want me to be was a doctor, which was very okay, interesting from an Indian context. that's unusual for an Indian Yeah. They're parents. doctors, are they? No, they're not. They're not professors. Um, did not want me to be a doctor. Or a professor? Or, or a professor, no. Um, I think would have gone down the engineering route if if uh, they, they had to push me to something, but didn't really push me. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh... It's always Amy Winehouse. Whoa. Usually, you know, I'm no good. <laughs> well, you can obviously sing. I can kind of sing. Yeah. Kind of. I think You've got I a can good sing. voice. I think I can sing. After several glasses. After a couple of glasses. Also yeah. Office dogs. <laughs> Business or bullshit? Bullshit. Fair enough. He's not doing well recently, is no, he? No, no. Look, he's actually woken up for it. Sorry, Rhymes. Um, have you ever been fired? No. Probably not going to be now unless you fire yourself. Hopefully Give yourself not. a stern Hopefully talking I don't, to. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes though. And as we hear the champagne bottle pop in the background, what's your vice? Uh, red wine. She wants a red wine, mate. Red wine. Do you have any recommendations on something, things we should read or watch or listen to? Um, yes. So I quite enjoy kind of fantastical books. Uh, one that I've really enjoyed is Hard Boiled Wonderland and the End of the Earth, End Jesus, of the World. Hard Boiled Wonderland. Wonderland and the End of the World. Does it involve eggs? Uh, it does not. It's by Haruki Murakami. Oh, nice. Have you... Have you yeah, uh, I haven't read that one. Yeah, it's really interesting. Each chapter is basically a completely different... So it alternates between two stories and each chapter is a different story. Have you read any John Irving? No. I think you'd enjoy that. Okay, I will check that out. Anything to watch or listen to? Watch, uh, I'm very into sci-fi. What sci-fi are you suggesting? My, okay, so this 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 movie I watched several times when I was young and it's just kind of always stuck. It's called Gattaca. Has anyone yeah. heard of oh, Gattaca? It's a great it. movie. I'm yeah. aware of it. It's a good movie, right? Most people have not watched it, but absolutely I, love Gattaca. I've always said I hate sci-fi and yet I really don't. I love sci-fi. Yeah, sci-fi is great. It's a great genre. Anything we should be listening to. Podcast-wise, um, I really like The Missing Crypto Queen. Has anyone? Whoa. Yes, I listened to I that. I have no idea that. what that is. Jamie Bartlett, he's great. Was it a story of a, literally a person who went missing? It's basically no, she was this... a fraudster. Yeah, it's this... this uh, her name is like, what is it? Ruja Ignatova. Yeah. Um, and she started this thing called OneCoin, which became basically like a cult crypto situation. And obviously took loads of people's money and went missing. But she was like you know, on stage evangelizing it and uh, loads of people put a lot of money from all over the world. It's quite, it's fascinating. He tracks them down. It's a BBC, it's a BBC podcast. It's just fucking phenomenal, those initial coin offerings. You know, I had clients doing it and, you, you know, they'd be explaining it to you and you, you have to... Are they still happening? Well, not so much, but there was a stage you were like, yeah, so, yeah, there's no guarantee of everything, anything and we might not build anything, but but people have given us 17 million quid. And you sit there as an accountant or as a lawyer where you've had to learn bullshit things in case you're sick and you just see so this makes no sense and why are people buying it well we don't really know I mean I've got it. a bit of crypto and I just like I don't even bother to the look problem, at it anymore. the problem for me frankly and it is a very like a selfish problem is that if somebody's doing an old-fashioned IPO i.e. you know floating on a stock exchange there is loads of fucking work for lawyers because it's so heavily regulated you've got to do a prospectus you've got to do all this stuff and with a um, ICO 
there's nothing is to there do not, not much due diligence no there's no regulation around it some Slovenian you need to write, write a white paper but the white paper doesn't have to be kind of approved a by white anybody. paper nobody reads it 60 pages long saying we're not going to do anything the company just writes it that's what it says it says we won't have to do anything and we're not liable to do anything but give us some money and we might do something because I had a client that was going to do it I had a client that was going to do it and they were like what do you need to do from a legal point of view I'm like nothing <laughs> It's crazy. I think what it preys on is our gambling piece that we all are hoping to get rich. Yeah. There's this sort of fear of missing out and yeah. that you go on. It's, it's, it, it is gambling. Um, well, thank you, Nisha. You've been absolutely superb. Is there anything you want to tell anyone? Um, spread, spread. I mean, I think we've talked enough, but what's your... Any, where do we find you? It's called, what's the business called? Naksha. Naksha. Where does the name come from? It, it means map in Sanskrit. So you travel the world through food. Travel the world through That's food. That's very Woo. good. Very, very good. Um, thank you very much. This has been this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you, Nisha. Thank you. Thank you, Ipa. Thank you, E. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Thank you, Omeo, as my daughter Dalminda. says. Darminda. We'll Darminda. And uh, we'll be back with our quiz, Business or Bullshit. Until then, it's ciao.